octave. Oh. <laughs> I can't. Oh my it's god. So bad. <laughs> Kicking and streaming, where God Himself could not sink this ship. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 1997 historical epic Titanic. Guys, this is this is Posh Diggs right here. <laughs> this is our biggest film yet. Hot, this was the highest grossing film of all time for many years. Yeah. Until James Cameron smashed his own record. Before we get started, guys, this is part one of a part two episode series. Yes. Next week, we're going to be dealing with part two of this madness. Because mm-hmm. remember, when it came out on VHS, there were two VHS tapes. There were two tapes. And we're going we're gonna to try and end this episode where the first tape ends. Mm-hmm. All right? And then next week, you come back for VHS tape two. Yeah, we're going to try not to keep you guys very long on this one. <laughs> and so before we get started, don't forget, you can go follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, guys, you can follow us on Spotify now. You can listen to us with Spotify. Just two blocks west of 465 East on (laughs) Washington Street. That's a good local joke. (laughs) I like that. If you haven't done so yet, guys, please go leave us a review on one of our platforms. Maybe you listen to Titanic and really want to leave us a review because this is is kind of a big deal for us guys. Like Ross has been unknowingly preparing for this conversation for like the last 10 years. Let me preface this by saying that as a child, I was very interested in disasters. Yes. I, I became very obsessed with many different disaster topics. Titanic, JFK, 9-11. Like, countless hours of research into this topic. I, it's what, these kinds of topics made me want to be a researcher. Like, I I just really enjoy soaking up everything about a subject like that. Because there's so much to know when it comes to these disasters. So you're going to be our Christopher Lee today. Yes, I am. When I, have I read all the books in preparation for this role. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and when I have a question, I'm just going to defer to you. And guys, honestly, I dare you. Fact check him. Guys, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, no, like, seriously. Like, I'm an like, honest blog. <laughs> like, go to the Twitter. If you have any Titanic questions, I will answer. At Ross right now? Yes, at Ross right now. Or at Kick and Stream, K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. I'm going to start this with a programming note. And, you know, we were kind of getting into this just now, but Ross has a lot of information on this topic. Mm -hmm. And when it, and guys, I'm just not going to be able to stop him from inserting (laughs) little pieces of trivia throughout this conversation. We're going to try to maintain a flow here. And we're also going to focus on the trivia that relates mostly to the events of the movie. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of great context here, guys. And if you want to hear it, I'm going to drop a lot of it in the bonus episode for this week. This subject is like even bigger than film. Like, I think this is something that impresses upon our humanity. And this is one of those things in history that really allows us to reflect on human error and, you know, progress. So I'm excited. All right. Well, let's not waste any more time then, shall we? Take a journey. Back in time, 
in search of a mystery. Locked beneath the sea. This January, you will be given the key. We're going to America! Forget it, Boyle. You'll never get next to the likes of her. Don't come any closer. Well, let go. No, you won't. You are not to see that boy again. I'm the king of the world! That made you think you could put your hands on my fiance. It's not up to you to save me, Jack. He's got you trapped. If you don't break free, you're gonna die. It's a ship. There's only so many places she can be. Find her. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. James Cameron as the creator of such things as the Aliens franchise, Titanic, the Avatar franchise question mark, where's <laughs> Avatar 2? Like, James Cameron, I'm not going to say genius. Okay. I'm going to say impresario. What does that mean exactly? You don't know what an impresario is? Just for those of us who don't know. Well, it's an Italian term. <laughs> and an impresario is someone who is a, you could call me a Harry Potter impresario. Oh, okay. I would say Jim Cameron is a film impresario. The genesis of this idea, I think, happened in the early 90s. God damn it. He got enough money to actually go and visit the Titanic. Ever since it was discovered in 1985, there's this research vessel called the Keldish, and the Keldish regularly monitors the wreck of the RMS Titanic. So James Cameron was, with the help of Anatoly Sugalevich and everyone at the Woods Hole Lab, was able to develop, is very revolutionary in terms of film, they were able to develop a camera that is able to shoot good film at such a depth no, no like 3,000 pounds of pressure per square inch or yeah. something like yeah. that? Yeah, down where the Titanic wreck is, there. yeah, it's 3,000 pounds per square inch of pressure. It can shrink a Dixie cup to the size of a thimble. Wow. The window, wow! The windows on the mirror submersibles, which were designed by Anatoly Sugalevich, the mirror submersibles have windows that are 10 inches thick. It's a two and a half hour free fall from the surface to get to the wreck of the Titanic. That's a long way to go for some B-roll. It, it, yeah. And... <laughs> There, there James. was there was this week in 1995 that he went out there to start shooting stuff for the film. This was the largest film set ever constructed. They built the Titanic off the coast in Baja, in Mexico. Really? Oh, Carrie, we need to sit down and watch. I have the three disc special edition. <laughs> Titanic. Of course you do. And the third disc is all special features. I had so many questions for you about how much of this was shot in just a very large tank. No, they built it. 
Oh, God! They built a replica of the ship. Like it's Noah's Ark or something. Yeah, and sank it and unsank it in a tank. Oh, my God! One of the largest water tanks ever constructed. We got a lineup in this film. We got Leo DiCaprio. Absolutely. 90s golden boy. He was bra- He was sort of new to the scene. And yummy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I bet he just had your little heart. But you know who's even yummier? Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. In her second kicking and streaming appearance. We got Billy Zane, who has been in three movies. As far as you're concerned. Titanic, The Roommate, and Pocahontas 2. Oh my god. Journey to a New World. That directive VHS release. Frances Fisher has been in three films. Who's Frances Fisher? Is that the mom? Yeah. Okay. And she has been in Titanic. She was in The Roommate with Billy Zane. And something else. (laughs) And something else. Kathy Bates! Yes! Our girl favorite character actress, Kathy Bates. We love Kathy. We have Jonathan Hyde. You know Jonathan Hyde from Jumanji. He plays the dad and Van Pelt. Yes, yes. yes. (laughs) A real Peter Pan move on that one. We have Victor Garber. Yes, he's back! In another kicking and streaming appearance, we've had him in Sleepless in Seattle and Cinderella, Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella. Bernard Hill, Theoden King. Oh, yes, from for, the Two Towers. From Lord of the Rings Two Towers. We also have Bill Paxton. <laughs> yes, I love Bill Paxton. I wanted to save this note when we got a little bit farther along, but I just want to say some things about our dearly departed Bill Paxton. Oh, that's right. Rest in peace. The everyman of film. He really is. I wrote down, Bill Paxton has been on screen an astronaut, a meteorologist, a soldier, a professor, a mariner like wow i also want to mention along with the cast like a lot of the members of the woods hole lab like anatoly sugalevich and crew members of the keldish got to be in this film really yeah and well, I, they're on the keldish are they not like the actual yeah keldish? they use the actual keldish in okay, the film all right and i'm completely astounded that this project only had a 200 million dollar budget only yeah you who complains about large movie budgets can't believe that this movie the scale of this film the scale of this it only had 200 million dollars the scale of this production should have cost well over 200 million dollars this is one of those films where i am not mad about the expense also when i had mentioned profits you want to know the profit let tell me 2.2 billion Ooh. yeah Highest grossing film of all time when it came out. Titanic won four Oscars. Best director for Jim. Best motion picture. We have best original score for James Horner. And best original song. Oh my God. Guys, My Heart Will Go On is one of the most recognizable songs in all of history. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, I mean, this film in terms of its production, the scale, the production design, the historical authenticity of it, the literal things that were invented to film this piece. Jim, we say brava. His name is James Cameron. (laughs) You almost want to start crying like right out the gate. Because of the, the vocalizing? We begin with a treasure hunt. We see the mere submersibles, as designed by Dr. Anatoly Sugalevich, free-falling 
to the bottom of the ocean. It's not too far off Newfoundland in Canada is where the site is. And and we have inside one of the mirrors the real Dr. Anatoly Sugalevich. <laughs> really? With Bill Paxton. And you know, I never did catch the actor's name who plays Lewis. I think he might have just been like a funny like writer or something. Like, I have no idea. His, the character's name is Lewis Bodine. We're getting these shots of the wreck. So Bill Paxton is playing Brock Lovett, and Brock Lovett is heading up this investigation. And Bill Paxton is being corny, and he's got this camera. I I have in my notes that narration. To see the sad ruin of the great ship sitting here, where she landed at 2.30 in the morning of April 15, 1912, after her long fall from the world above. (laughs) You are so full of shit, boss. (laughs) I like Lewis. I do. <laughs> Lewis is the comic relief. The thing about Lewis is I know everything I need to know about him because he's wearing a Watchmen t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I, I saw that, I was like, I thought of you immediately. I, w- I was 13 when I saw this for the first time, had no idea what that was. And then I watched this again this time and I was like, oh, I know exactly what kind of person you are, exactly. sir. Do you feel in any way a kinship with Bill Paxton at the beginning of the movie? No. He just takes it so seriously, and it reminds me of how you would take it seriously. He doesn't mean it, though. That's what I was getting ready to say. Because he's just here for treasure. He's grave robbing, essentially. No, as I was going to say, Jim Cameron actually faced a lot of backlash for filming inside the wreck of the Titanic the way he did. Because it's a grave ship. That's what people, That's that was the backlash, was people like, you know, you're essentially being very disrespectful to all of the souls that were lost. He made billions of dollars off of those souls. Well, I mean. He did. Thanks, Anatoly Sugalevich. <laughs> like, you provided the technology. So Bill Paxton is <laughs> creeping around inside the Titanic. He is looking... For a flawless diamond that was supposedly going down with the wreck in 1912. Yeah, they're not just here for funsies. They're yeah. actually looking for something. So they have these cameras that, these are real cameras that are in the mirrors. And they are they named them Duncan and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Snoop Vision. Yeah, yeah, that's why, you see, well, that's why it says Snoop Vision on the top of the feed. What they're basically doing is they're looking for an old stateroom in which this diamond is supposedly locked in a vault. And Lewis is behind the controls. Also, okay, this is this is 100% a fallacy. I love that they put in the little addition of them being able to use these little mechanical arms. The robot arms. To move shit around in the ship. Give me my hands, man. Take it easy, it might come apart. Okay. Go, 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 flip it over, flip it over, go. Turn over. Keep going, go, go, go. Okay, drop it. That was not real and would never have worked. <laughs> okay, all right, fine. the shots where they're filming inside the old stateroom flipping shit over, mm-hmm. that's in a stage. Okay. Yeah, they, they filled a stage with water. And, because if, that ro- if there was a robotic capability on that camera to move shit around, if it had lifted up that door, it would have just disintegrated. Yeah, no, that's what like, I always thought. Exactly. First of all, they don't show you how they get the vault out of the ship. Like I, they show you they show them finding it, but they do not show you how that camera is going to drag this heavy ass vault through 3000 pounds per square <laughs> inch water to the surface. They get the safe back up on the deck of the Keldish and they crack it open. Everybody's like pouring champagne and lighting cigars because they think it's payday. Yeah. 
they open this safe. All goopy papers and mud and like. And Brock's like digging through it with his fingers. He's like, where's the diamond? Come on, where's the diamond? And Anatoly Sugalevich got one line in this movie and it was. No diamonds. You know, boss, the same thing happened to Geraldo and his career never recovered. I love Lewis. <laughs> I know I'm supposed to not like Lewis, yeah. but I love Lewis. So there's no diamond in the fucking vault. Everyone's upset. But they are taking catalog of all the things they did find while they were down there, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of goop that fell out when they cracked that safe open. Mm -hmm. And they're blowing everything off. And they unearth this drawing of Of this this naked woman. This beautiful woman. And And she's got the diamond on around her neck. They publicize it on the news. Cut to Iowa. Is it Iowa? Yeah, she I wrote down Arizona. I had no idea. She lives in Cedar Rapids. They look like... Arizona people to me for some reason. It's all the clay. So Rose Calvert, who is a hundred years old, living in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. She's being cared for by her granddaughter, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. The the news is on, talking about, you know, Dr. Brock Brock Love is doing great things for the wreck of the RMS Titanic. (laughs) He's grave robbing. Yeah. (laughs) And she even calls him a grave robber. She sure does. But, you know, Rose hears Titanic and, you know, Brock is like showing them all the cool stuff they found in the vault on the television and she sees her 17 year old self (laughs) nudie judy right on the television and just gloria stewart's face being zoomed in on just like i'll be goddamn so she gives the keldish a -a ring-a-ding-ding yeah this is brock lovett how can i help you this is calvert rose calvert mrs calvert I i was just wondering if you had found the heart of the ocean yet mr lovett All right, you have my attention, Rose. Can you tell us who the woman in the picture is? Oh, yes. The woman in the picture is me. Just like the little grin on her face. I love Gloria Stewart. By the way, all makeup. She did not look that old. Yeah, no, I know. She was only like, what, 83? Yeah, and they made her look 101. Well, good for them. Like, it, it all looks real. Fantastic makeup. Lewis is having none of this. <laughs> I love I love Lewis's rant. She's a goddamn liar. Some nutcase seeking money or publicity. God only knows why. Like that Russian babe, anesthesia. Rose DeWitt Decatur died on the Titanic when she was 17, right? That's right. If she had lived, she'd be over 100 by now. 101 next month. Okay, so she's a very old goddamn liar. I just love that he's asking the appropriate questions. Yeah, she's like, because are you really? He was like, I did the research on this woman. She was an actress in the 20s. Like, she could be completely pulling our fucking leg. Because, yeah, he makes a good point. Anesthesia. Yeah. This would not be the first time in history that someone came forward claiming to be someone famous. Exactly. And were not, in fact, being truthful. So they fly Rose and her granddaughter Lizzie out to the Keldish, right? Because mm-hmm. they got to they gotta bring her in. They got to know if this woman's for real. Yeah. And the first thing she wants to do when she gets there is see this drawing. You actually think this is you, Nana? It is me, dear. Wasn't I a dish? I couldn't even imagine being that in in that time of your life, mm-hmm. let's say. Yeah. And see a drawing of yourself. From that age. From that age that survived this horrible incident. Mm-hmm. Talk about seeing a ghost. And, you know, a lot of the times with survivors, their families, like their younger families... 
didn't know until they were older, like they never would talk about it, that they were survivors of this sinking. Yeah. Like there were there was uh, there were several, you know, children of survivors who didn't know until right before their parents passed away that they had survived this because it was just so unspeakable. And so I can understand why Lizzie has no idea about any of this. You see the date? April 14th, 1912. Which means if your grandmother is who she says she is, she was wearing the diamond the day the Titanic sank. And that makes you my new best friend. So the next part of this is that Lewis has a little show and tell for Rose. He's prepared a 3D rendering of the sinking of the Titanic as it happened for her to relive it. You know, the trauma. This sinking animation, which was done by Ken Marshall. Okay. Um... (laughs) It's it's really a very good, accurate demonstration, I think. We're going to let Lewis explain it for you. Okay, here we go. She hits the berg on the starboard side, right? She kind of bumps along, punching holes like Morse code. Dip, dip, dip. So now as the bow goes down, the stern rises up. Slow at first and faster and faster until finally she's got her whole ass is sticking up in the air. And that's a big ass. We're talking 20, 30,000 tons, okay? And the hole's not designed to deal with that pressure. So what happens? She splits right down to the keel. And that's a big ass. We're talking 20, 30,000 tons. I love how crass Lewis is. <laughs> and, you know, she, Rose doesn't give a fuck. And so we're, go, we're, we're going into where Rose is going to take us back. It's been 84 years. <laughs> Your favorite meme. This this line in particular, these, these lines in particular are taken from a lot of survivor account. There are people who survived this who repressed this for so long that when they were finally old enough and people were interested to talk to them, they would talk about how I can see it like it was yesterday. It's been 84 years, and I can still smell the fresh paint. The china had never been used. The sheets had never been slept in. Titanic was called the Ship of Dreams. And it was. It really was. The largest moving object ever made by the hand of man. On its maiden voyage. And they were immigrating. They were going to a new life. So it was very prevalent for a lot of these people. It was a very big event in their lives. Whether Time charged with hope and dreams. and It was... Lots of well-laid plans, I'm sure. It was the great American melting pot. Like, it was... People were going to America in hopes of a better life. So we're in the marina where the Titanic has docked to load the passengers for its maiden voyage. Southampton Bay, April 10th, 1912. The maiden voyage of the Titanic from Southampton to New York across the Atlantic Ocean. And the marina is packed. Oh, yeah, because this is this is Titanic's big day. This is back in the days when, for funsies, you would go watch a ship take off for the first time. Yeah. It was an event. And so, like, everybody is either there to get on the boat or to just watch it take off. And, you know, the thing about the Titanic that everybody thought was so mesmerizing was, good God, it's unsinkable. <laughs> yes. And it was actually only called unsinkable in a magazine like once. And then it like caught on like wildfire and everyone's like, ooh. It's a PR campaign that nobody had to pay for. The Titanic was never unsinkable. 
The reason they called the ship unsinkable was because Titanic, the way it was designed, had a failsafe to where if it was in, if it was flooded in one of its watertight compartments, it could still stay afloat and act as its own lifeboat. As a matter of fact, if it was flooded in even two or three of its compartments, it could stay afloat. So that's why they were calling the ship unsinkable, because the ship could act as its own lifeboat. I love that little girl and her dad on the dock. It's a big boat, ain't it? Daddy, it's it's a a ship. ship. You're You're right. (laughs) Since we're talking about that, I love that this film allows you to follow the very brief intersecting journeys of some background characters throughout the movie. Uh You know, we have people from every walk of life in this movie. We have the very wealthy. We have the steerage passengers, Irish families, single dads with little kids, Mm -hmm. daughters. It was such a cross-section of life. Mm -hmm. We see this car pull up with all of these, you know, with all this baggage. And then, you know, we get the opening of the door. I love this shot so much. I went, Rose, oof, that hat. Oh, my goodness. Kate Winslet, everybody, as Rose DeWitt Bucator. I don't see what all the fuss is about. It doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania. You could be blasé about some things, Rose, but not about Titanic. It's over 100 feet longer than Mauritania. And far more luxurious. Kate Winslet in that white, black pinstripe suit. I love it. It's such a great look. Rose Duet Bucator is a 17-year-old girl traveling with her fiancé and her mother back to Philadelphia. And her fiancé, who is Kaladin Hockley, owns a very large steel industry back in Pennsylvania. So this was their return journey home. Mm-hmm. The Bucator's situation is a little perilous. Her father, it's implied that he committed suicide and left them with a lot of debt. Yeah. And so... And no means to pay it off. Ruth, who is Rose's mother, Ruth's way back into... High society. High society is for to marry her daughter off to this Hockley fellow. Whether she likes it or not. Yeah. Older Rose has a lot of over-narration here. Voice-over narration. Yeah, here. in the beginning. And, you know, sh- you know, there's that great shot as they're walking onto the ship where she's talking about how, like, I was not happy. It was the ship of dreams to everyone else. To me, it was a slave ship taking me back to America in chains. Outwardly, I was everything a well-brought-up girl should be. Inside, I was screaming. I thought of the Titanic as a slave ship taking me back to America in chains. All right, Rose, that's a little much. I I also wrote, (laughs) I wrote, it's a little dramatic. Elsewhere in the marina. Pretty boy Jack. Yes, we meet Jack Dawson and his BFF, Fabrizio. Yes. Fabrizio is fussy with Jack because Jack has bet all of their money in a poker game. Against Sven and Bartok, I don't know. They're Swedish. Yeah. The Swedish bros have also put on the pot their tickets to the Titanic, which is taking off in mm, 10 minutes. Yeah. And so they're playing this hand of poker, and he looks at Fabrizio, and he's like, sorry, Fabrizio. (laughs) Oh, two pair. I'm sorry, Fabrizio. I'm sorry, you're not going to see your mom again for a long time. Because we're going to America. Full house, boys! No! Oh, no. Oh, yeah. 
we're going to America, baby! I love his energy. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't that be such a liberating feeling to you? If they you had were, nothing. If you were piss poor, nowhere to go, and you just automatically get a ticket to America because you played a good hand in poker? Like... That serendipitous stuff, man. I love it. <laughs> So they have to take off running through the marina. I love the I love the running sequence where they where Jack is like we're gonna be millionaires. Like, <laughs> they have big hopes, high hopes. And I mean Jack is already American, so he gets to go back home. Yeah, and you know Fabrizio is just he's gonna go to America. <laughs> I wrote, Who bets their fucking ticket to America? Yeah, what an idiot. Yeah. Well, uh, well. You know, you know we, yeah, yeah. We say what an idiot, but that idiot lived. When I was watching the movie earlier, when Fabrizio goes, I get to go to America. And Mare was standing there watching it with me, and she goes, Don't go. <laughs> oh, no. Stay in Europe. Oh, you God. don't need to go to America. The next sequence that happens, Jim Cameron refers to it as the Ode to Titanic. And it's basically everything that happens from the ship departing up until I'm the king of the world. And the whole sequence with them. You know, firing up the actual engines and going full astern. Ross, at this time, why don't you give us an idea of the size and the scale of this ship? Armas Titanic was the largest moving object ever made by the hand of man. It's 882 and a half feet long, 92 and a half feet wide. Weighed about 50,000 tons. When I tell you guys he's looking me in the eyes while he's saying this, no notes whatsoever. He just has this memorized. I have studied this ship. It's very impressive, studied, bro. Studied it hard. This film is why you are not allowed onto the forecastle of ships. Oh, what? You are. Th- th- no one is allowed access to bows. <laughs> Of cruise liners, for seri- for real. Because people will jump up there and yell, I'm the king of the world. And it's dangerous. <laughs> Back in 1912, no one cared. Michael stands on the front of the ship and yells, I'm king of the world within the first hour, or I give you my next paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of the world. The captain orders everything full steam ahead, and they go out there on the bow, and they're screaming. Hey, I- Jack and Fabrizio. Yeah. And guys... This is like one of the most famous movie moments in history now. Yeah. When Leo DiCaprio throws out his arms. I'm the king of the world! Some of the most powerful parts of the movie happen at the bow and at the very stern. Yes, that's that's very true. Of the ship. Also, can I just say I love Leo's energy. Yeah. In this film, mm-hmm. like I I just I love the energy he brings to this role. Jack and Fabrizio are in steerage, which is vastly different from where Rose and Cal and her mother are all staying. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a brief rundown of how people were separated according to class? So in the second and third class on the Titanic, your accommodations were meager. You had everyone had their own dining room, but the second and third class bunks, the cabins were very tiny. The first class accommodations were astronomically higher than that of the second or third class. Second, uh, second and third class passengers were not allowed to be present in these parts of the ship. The entire main castle of the ship was devoted to first class comfort. I'm talking gymnasium, swimming pool, Turkish baths. Oh my um, god. Smoking lounge, uh, dining room, dining saloon. Oh my. A whole reception room, a palm court, 
a veranda court. All the staterooms. The suite that the Bucaters and the Hockleys get. The B-deck suites were the largest and most luxurious on the ship. They had their own private promenades. You had a whole room for just your valuables. You didn't have to check all of your valuables in at the pursery. You could have it all in your own stateroom. Now we're at lunch with some aristocrats. A lot of scenes throughout the film are depicted with uh, the Bucaters and the Hockleys sitting with some very... Influential people. Yeah, especially in the world at that time. Um, At this particular lunch, we have Jay Bruce Ismay, who is the chairman of the White Star Line, who came along for the voyage. He's portrayed by Jonathan Hyde. We have Thomas Andrews, Sir Thomas Andrews. Master shipbuilder. He's portrayed by Victor Garber. We got mining millionaires Molly Brown. I love Kathy Bates. Kathy Bates. The role of Molly Brown has been played in several different roles. Hers is my favorite. I think she really captures who Margaret Brown was as a person. We're learning in this scene that Rose is subjected to a great deal of infantilization on behalf of both her mother and Cal. Cal orders for her. Mm -hmm. Cal puts her cigarette out for her because it's not ladylike. Gonna cut her meat for her too there, Cal? Thank you very much, Molly. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying. Molly is a great gal to have around right now because Rose is bored of all of this. She's really hurting. Like, no one really realizes how much she's hurting. Rose gets fed up with everything that's happening and decides to cause some trouble. (laughs) Yeah. I forget what is actually said to make her say this. Who thought of the name Titanic? Was it you, Bruce? Well, yes, actually. I wanted to convey sheer size. And size means stability, luxury, and above all, strength. Do you know of Dr. Freud, Mr. Ismay? His ideas about the male preoccupation with size might be of particular interest to you. I love the look that... Kathy Bates gets on her face just like, all right, all right. Yeah, we're going to have has, fun. She has spunk. <laughs> oh, my God. Just the look on Ruth's face. What has gotten into you? <laughs> she, like, gets up and wanders away. She's like, I'm going to smoke. Yeah, she's <laughs> going out on the deck. And out on the deck, we meet Tommy Ryan. I'm Tommy Ryan. Jack and Fabrizio and Tommy are all sitting on the deck shooting the shit. Jack's drawing somebody. Mm-hmm. That's typical. First class dogs from down here to take a shite. Uh, it lets us know where we rank in the scheme of things. Like we could forget? <laughs> I'm Tommy Ryan. Jack Dawson. This is where Rose rocks out onto one of the upper decks. And he sees her for the first time. Oh, and just like the, the world stops. I love how Tommy's like, Oh, forget it, Boyle. You just like have angels fly out of your arses get next to the likes of her. And she notices him looking, too. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, okay, I see you. We're watching another dinner scene with Rose's narration laid over it. And we're hearing about just how unhappy she is. Rose is at a brink. I felt like I was standing at a great precipice with no one to pull me back. No one who cared or even noticed. She knows exactly how her life is going to play out. And she says it's going to be this endless parade of parties and polo matches. And she really doesn't see any use in going on. Because all of her life's decisions are being made for her. Like she wa- She's a means to an end. She like wants to be a person. And she just can't because of the social parameters that she's in. I believe her emotion when we cut to her running distraught down the boat deck. She's going to end it. She's running to the stern of the ship. 
so that she can jump off. She gets herself over the railing, on the outside of the railing that's around the deck of the ship. And she's just hanging on. All those tassels on that dress make me nervous. No, she could slip at any moment and she's just hanging on to the outside of this railing. And what she doesn't notice as she's crying and running towards the stern is that Jack's just chilling, smoking a cig. And he notices her run by, but she does not notice him. So he's bearing witness to the whole sad affair. And he just like walks up behind her and is like, hey, please don't. Yeah. Come on, just give me your hand. I'll pull you back over. No, stay where you are. I mean it. I'll let go. No, you won't. What do you mean, no, I won't? Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Well, you would have done it already. She's trying to get him to go away, and he's like, I can't walk away now. Yeah. I'm involved at this point. Exactly. If you jump in, I have to go in after you. I love this scene, and I love the way Jack convinces her... Like, that it's silly. This is one hell of a meat cute, if you ask me. Yeah. Like, she's literally at the lowest point she's probably ever been in her life. And he's probably at the highest. Yeah. (laughs) Which is really interesting, given their respective classes. Exactly. So, yeah, and the way he just kind of... Talks her down. Yeah, and you know, and he doesn't try to pretend like he knows her. He just offers up his own personal knowledge about living in Wisconsin. He just starts talking about regular shit. You ever, uh, ever been to Wisconsin? What? Well, they have some of the coldest winters around. I grew up there near Chippewa Falls. And I'm telling you, water that cold, like right down there, it hits you like a thousand knives stabbing you all over your body. Which is why I'm not looking forward to jumping in there after you. He's treating her with such normalcy. Yeah. That she's just... She doesn't know what to do with it. We get this very tense sequence. She finally takes his hand, but she slips. Yeah, she slips on that dress. She's dangling. She has only got Jack holding on to her. she's screaming her head off so everybody within a hundred foot radius is coming a couple of shipmen hear her screaming and they decide to go investigate as any good officer of the line would so he drags her over the railing and she falls down on top of him and he rolls her over they discover him on top of her it's a bad look yeah they're literally handcuffing jack before rose can collect herself enough to say, hey. She tells Hockley and Gracie this cockamamie story about how she was leaning over the rail. I was leaning far over to see the, uh, 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 the, uh, uh, propellers, and I slipped, and I would have gone overboard, but Mr. Dawson here saved me and almost went over himself. I love this because she has to rely on the fact that they'll assume that she's a dumb woman who leaned way too far over. And it works. Mm -hmm. She convinces the master at arms that Jack is not a threat, did nothing to her. They let him go. Cal decides that the most appropriate reward for this is a $20 bill. Which I mean, it's a lot of money back then. Don't give me that shit. (laughs) You know what Rose says? Oh, is that the going rate for saving the woman you love? I don't know what possesses Cal to do this, but he invites Jack to dinner. I know what possesses him to do this, because in his mind, this is a valuable experience for Jack. Because he's a lowly third-class passenger. Oh, wait. And he gets to dine with the bigwigs. Also that, but I think they want to laugh at him. I 
I mean, they that ha- is entirely possible. Because, like, literally as they're walking away after inviting him to dinner, you can hear Cal go, this should be interesting. This is where we get to see the heart of the ocean for the first time. Cal literally weasels his way into her room, and she's just trying to have private time at the mirror. He intrudes. He basically pulls out this diamond necklace. It's overwhelming. That's for royalty. We are royalty, Rose. You know, there's nothing I couldn't give you. There's nothing I'd deny you. If you would not deny me. The 1912 flex that is occurring here. If you are just an obedient little wifey, this is the kind of luxury you can come to enjoy. I just love the ominous music that's playing while he's asking her to, like, be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Rose goes to see Jack the next day, basically to say, hey, thanks for what you did. And thank you for not telling anybody. Thanks for being cool about it. She starts opening up to Jack. She's letting him know, you know, I'm in a rough situation. Everything is being dictated for me. She flashes him that ring and he's like, good God, you would have gone straight to the bottom. Not funny, Jack. (laughs) It's not funny, Jack. And he just straight up asks her. Do you love him? Pardon me? Do you love him? You're being very rude. You shouldn't be asking me this. Well, it's a simple question. Do you love the guy or not? This is not a suitable conversation. Why can't you just answer the question? (laughs) This is not an appropriate conversation. And he's like, just answer the question. Like, don't be so uptight. Here's the thing. She couldn't get away if she wanted to. Because he is so not bound by her social code. Yeah. And that is intriguing to her. And so she literally cannot detach herself from his side. She's trying to leave. Like, she keeps shaking his hand as if she's saying goodbye. And then we get on the subject of the sketchbook. To be a brat, she takes his sketchbook out of his hand. She starts looking at all of his drawings. And she's like, oh, these are are rather good. (laughs) Jack and Rose are sitting around all these first-class people looking at nudes. They really are. And, like... Because what's one of Jack's most prolific subjects? Naked Parisian sex workers. You like this woman. You used her several times. Well, she had beautiful hands, you see. I think you must have had a love affair with her. No, 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 no. Just with her hands. She was a one-legged prostitute. See? Uh, Oh! (laughs) That's something very direct that not a lot of people would say to her. Yeah. And I think she appreciates it. Yeah. Yeah, I think she, I think that she almost feels like Jack is freer than she is. Yeah. The little smile that she gets, like, I think that's where she starts to, like, like him. I agree. You know what I mean? Okay, let's take a little break from them real quick, and let's talk about a man named Captain... E.J. Smith. Was it just E.J.? Edward James Smith. Yes. Played Uh... by Theoden King, (laughs) our lovely Bernard Hill. Yes. Google a picture of Bernard Hill, and then Google a picture of E.J. Smith. Bernard Hill looks exactly... Like Captain Smith. It is pretty spooky. It's like, oh, wow. So we have Mr. Ismay and Captain Smith sitting at a table in the first class reception room. So you've not yet lit the last four boilers? No, I don't see the need. We are making excellent time. The Pressner's the size of Titanic. Now I want to marvel at her speed. We must give them something new to print. 
This maiden voyage of Titanic must make headlines. Ismay knows that this is his time. Yeah, no. Ismay knows that this is the greatest thing he is ever going to do. He has a lot to gain from this maiden voyage going very well. And what he wants is White Star to make the fastest Atlantic crossing. And he wants to do it with Titanic. I don't think a ship had ever made an Atlantic crossing in less than four days. Ismay's like, you know, dude, this is your last voyage. Wouldn't it be great? If you could get the Titanic in a night early. The stakes are very high for both of these guys. And so, like, Ismay keeps pushing him to make the ship go faster. So Smith decides to light the last four boilers. So we're back with Jack and Rose on the deck. And Jack is teaching Rose how to spit. You go ahead and talk about this. (laughs) Why? Because it's really going to bother you? Mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) I'm checking out. You go ahead. Watch closely. That's disgusting. All right, your turn. Pitiful. Come on, you really gotta hock it back, you know? Get some leverage to it. Use your arms. Arc your neck. Really hock it back so you can get some distance. They are shooting some fat ones. I know, it's wrong. disgusting. And all of these people are standing next to them like, the fuck are you doing? Of course this is when her mother walks up. Like, with all of her high society friends, Ruth does not like Jack from the jump. The others were gracious and curious about the man who'd saved my life. My mother looked at him like an insect, a dangerous insect, which must be squashed quickly. So Jack literally has to borrow a monkey suit from Molly Brown to go to this dinner. Yeah, because Molly's like, you cannot come to dinner in that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not allowed. You are literally not allowed. I love Molly as a little friend for Jack. Yeah, Molly kind of takes him under her wing. Do you have the slightest comprehension what you're doing? Not really. Well, you're about to go into the snake pit. What are you planning to wear? I think that they enjoy themselves a little too much at dinner. You can tell that it's refreshing for Rose to have someone near her. Making jokes. Making jokes, who is not impressed, really, by the pomp and circumstance. At dinner, Jack is doing a great job of holding his own. Oh, he charms. Yeah, he's taking cues from Molly and Rose about how to behave during the dinner. Ruth literally looks at him. And, like, starts asking all of the questions to make everyone see that he is nothing. Yeah, she's trying to expose him as this transient vagrant. Oh, how do you have means to travel after being in steerage? Even Molly is like, girl. For real? Lay off. Like, he's our guest. It's like Rose brought the foreign exchange student. Yeah. To dinner, and everybody's like, ooh. Yeah, they can't. What's life like back in your country? And he's like, I'm literally American. I figure life's a gift, and I don't intend on wasting it. You never know what hand you're going to get dealt next. You learn to take life as it comes at you. To make each day count. Well said, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Frankly, if I were Rose, I couldn't get my underwear off fast enough. <laughs> like, he actually cares about stuff that matters. Yeah. Like, not about all of the aristocracy and not nonsense. And so... We get to the end of dinner. The men are tired of being around the women, so they're going to retire to the smoking lounge to congratulate themselves on being masters of the universe. (laughs) You like that line, don't you? I do love it. Jack's like, nah, thanks. I won't join you. Gotta be heading back. He kisses Rose goodnight on the hand, but he slips her this little slip of paper in her hand. It's a note. Do you like me? Circle yes or no. It says, make it count. Meet me at the clock. So they meet up at the clock, and he takes her down to steerage to see what a real party's like. I 
love a third class party. <laughs> we really shouldn't this say is, it that way. This is where we belong. I mean, for real though, this is our kind of party. This is our heritage. Yeah, there's beer, there's dancing, there's percussion instruments. I love this scene so much. Yeah, they're dancing around, drunkards are smashing things. Everybody's having a good time. They get up on the dance floor and they start, What? what is that doing? They're not doing a soft shoe, that's not what that is. I have no idea. It's just, it looks like they're trying to tap dance. Yeah. Quite the little dancer. Yeah. Like amongst all this rustic business going on. Also, I love the sequence where Tommy is arm wrestling the Swede and she takes the cigarette out of Tommy's mouth and goes, So, you think you're big tough men? Let's see you do this. Hold this for me, Jack. Hold it up. and she stands on her toes. She goes on point without ballet shoes on. Yeah. So she's literally balancing her whole weight on her tippy toes. Ow! That Irish mother who goes, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Big mood. We've forgotten to mention an essential character here. Oh, Spicer Lovejoy. Who is Hockley's valet. Yes, he's like his man, his 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 go-to guy. Yeah. He's his fixer. He's the Grima Warren tongue to Hockley's Theoden. He often gets Lovejoy to spy on Rose throughout their stay on the and Titanic. Lovejoy finds Rose in Jack's arms in the bowels of the ship dancing to hooligan music. <laughs> yeah. And so it's the next day. We're at the day of the sinking, y'all. We're at breakfast with Hockley and Rose. And Hockley just dismisses the servants and is like, You will never behave like that again. Rose, do you understand? I'm not a foreman in one of your mills that you can command. I'm your fiance. fiance. My fiance! Yes, you are! And my My wife in practice, if not yet by law, so you will honor me. He flips the entire breakfast table over, scaring the shit out of her, getting in her face. And you know, she didn't know he was going to do any of that. It was the ad lib for the most part. Really? The flipping the table and everything. So that's why she looks so legitimately petrified. And poor Trudy, the maid, has to come to her aid. And she's like, oh, no, we just had a little accident. And she's like, it's fine. I get it. I see you. I see you. Come here, here, mama. You know, know, like, I love Trudy. church and Jack is trying to get in to see Rose and they won't let him in. That steward literally looks at him and goes, uh, sir, (laughs) I know you're not supposed to be here. Literally based on what he's wearing. And Lovejoy makes sure that the stewards escort him back to the third class. Tries to give him a crisp Andrew Jackson and show him the way out. And he's just like, I don't want your money, man. I just want to talk to her. But they're not having any of it. So now we're taking a stroll and we're talking about the lifeboats. Yeah, because Rose has, you know... Done the math. Yeah, as no one expected her to. She's like, hey, I've noticed that uh, there's not a lot of lifeboats around here, Mr. Andrews. And Mr. Andrews is like, hey, talk to the White Star Line. I tried. (laughs) Forgive me, but it seems that there are not enough for everyone aboard. Not half, actually. Rose, you miss nothing, do you? 
In fact, I put in these new type davits, which can take an extra row of boats inside this one. But it was thought by some that the deck would look too cluttered. <laughs> so I was overruled. I just don't understand why they would take that risk. I really because don't. Because the ship's unsinkable. It couldn't possibly sink. God, it's just such, it seems like such a monument to human arrogance. I know. In in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is where Jack, having stolen, having nicked somebody's coat, as they would say, mm-hmm. having nicked somebody's, you know, first class coat, he's like incognitus. Yeah, like he is lent over a lifeboat and they're <laughs> walking past and he just like lunges out at her and pulls her into the gym. And gives her this whole, like, I love you and I don't want to let you go. She She's not immediately receptive to it. Yeah, he's like, listen. I'm not an idiot. I know how the world works. I've got ten bucks in my pocket. I have n- nothing to offer you and I know that. I understand. But I'm too involved now. You jump, I jump, remember? I can't turn away without knowing you'll be all right. You jump, I jump, remember? Oh, my... I love it, though. Yeah. Rose blows him off and regrets that for literally five seconds. She's thinking about her mother's guilt trip. So she goes back to him at sunset. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a turn of plot. No, leave me alone, and then five minutes later, hello, Jack. (laughs) I changed my mind. I changed my mind. This is the panty peeling scene, right? This is... I want to talk about this scene. Oh, God. So, obviously, they had this ship built on the coast of Mexico. Most of this sequence is live. No way. Like, literally... Sunset and everything? The sunset hit perfect, and it was like an emergency thing. They were like... You're kidding me. This is not green screen. No. This was a this was an in-the-moment thing. Jim was like... What? Like, all the second and third directors were outside, and they were like, Do you see this sunset right now? Jim. Jim. <laughs> get Kate and Leo. Get Kate and Leo. We got to do the thing (laughs) other than what is obviously computerized like the shots of the camera going around the ship on them at the bow which they're on a platform in front of a green screen for that but this most of this sequence the i'm flying sequence was filmed live so he brings her up there with her eyes closed Mm -hmm. and he guides her onto the rail he extends her arms out and tells her to open her eyes a moment. Yeah. The biggest romantic moment in film history up until that point. And this is where they kiss for the first time. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. I know these moments are written for saps like me because I am in it. Mm-hmm. I am in it yeah. at this point. You are completely invested in them. And that's the genius of all this. We'll come back to it later. But I hate to say that for once the love story really enriches the plot. That's why I say I'm glad the personalities don't get bogged down by the plot. They've snuck back to the suite and Rose has an idea. Like Rose literally gets in the vault, takes out the diamond, gives it to Jack and Jack's like, wow, this is some shit. (laughs) That's nice. What is it, a sapphire? A diamond. A very rare diamond. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. Wearing this. Wearing only this. (laughs) Ooh, scandal. Is it true that James Cameron actually drew the sketch of Kate Winslet? Yes, yes. That's really? Yeah. That's not a myth? No. This whole, we all know the next, we all know what happens next. (laughs) This is the scene people watch this movie for. (laughs) 
to see them titties. I'm gonna be real with you right now. This was the first pair of breasts that I'd ever seen that weren't my own. Can I be honest with you right now? What? Same. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, I just, and you know, it's weirdly tasteful. Yeah. Like, there's all, there, like, of course she's nude in front of him, but there's no awkward tension, really. Mm-hmm. It's all very endearing. Which is honestly surprising because here's the thing about this scene this was the very first thing they filmed they wanted to get it out of the way (laughs) james cameron drew this from life james cameron actually drew the picture oh my god there's nothing this man can't do apparently when you see the shots of the hand drawing the picture that's james cameron's hand it's so strange to me yeah this is the director I also think that everybody at this point is way too invested to let the nudity bother them in any way. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, this is tasteful. This is art. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I love the moment when she's like, I believe you are blushing, Mr. Big Artiste. I can't imagine Monsieur Monet blushing. He does landscapes. So, you know, he signs it April 14th, 1912, J.D., gives it to her in a portfolio and pecks her on the cheek. And I'm just like, that's sweet. (laughs) We're robing up. (laughs) We're putting clothes on. And Rose has Jack put the diamond back in the safe. And she writes this little note to Cal and sticks it in there with it. that says, darling, now you can fit both of us in your safe. She's just going to leave the drawing there for him to find. Like a big fuck you. Like how many days do they have left on this ship? Three. Okay, so she's just going to spend the next three days with Jack and not answer to any of the people in (laughs) her life? I don't know what she thought she was going to do. Well, I mean, hey, it's a hell of an exit, but Lovejoy comes back to the suite. Uh, Yeah, and they, like, have to leave. They have to go out the back way. Yeah, and he finds them in the hallway, and the the whole chase sequence to the boiler room. I love this part of the movie. Yeah. It becomes a chase scene. (laughs) They get into the lift, and they (laughs) shut the door just in time. He's like, close it, close it. Just the shot of them going down, Lovejoy bangs on the grill, (laughs) and he's watching them go down, and they both just start cracking up, and she flips him off. Bye! (laughs) I love it! So they take the lift down to E-Deck. Lovejoy runs all the way down the grand staircase to E-Deck, and they go into these side halls, and he's like, this guy's pretty tough for a valet. (laughs) Pretty tough for a valet, this fella. Seems more like a cop. I think he was. So he chases them all the way into a boiler room, which Jack is able to barricade them in. Yeah, like the bowels of the ship. And they make it into one of the cargo holts, where they find William Carter's 1912 Renault Coupe de Ville. We know who the car belonged to? Yeah, William Carter. Oh my god! Mm -hmm. There's one car down there, so of course we're gonna do it in the car. I'm gonna be honest. This was my first intellectualization of what sex was. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Because I was li- this movie came out when I was a year old. W- well, you didn't watch it when you were a year old. No, but I did as I got a little bit older. You were probably nine. And I literally thought sex was the hand on the window. <laughs> Like this iconic image of the fogged up window and Kate Winslet's sweaty palm print on the inside of the car. When she drags him out of the front seat into the back, (laughs) it's like there's no dialogue needed. Like everyone knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And even they have these looks on their faces. Like he literally just goes, are you nervous? (laughs) Because like they don't have to say anything. They know what they're about to do. 
Rose is also a virgin, so... Oh my god. In my notes I have, I hope you've all enjoyed this love story because everything's about to get real serious. So like, the stewards come down there with flashlights because they know they're down there and they're looking around for them. They open up that car, they're gone. (laughs) Cut to them laughing hysterically, (laughs) plowing out onto the well deck. You know what gives me goosebumps every time? What? When the ship docks, I'm getting off with you. This is crazy. I know. It doesn't make any sense. That's why I trust it. That is the happiness peak of this whole movie. Because, again, I was 13 when I first saw this. I was in this. I knew this boat was going down, Mm -hmm. but I knew they were getting off together at the end of it. I was in in it for them and that's why the love story part is so brilliant because you're invested in their journey together Mm -hmm. through all of this horribleness that's about to unfold before us it allows you to identify with the hopes and dreams of almost everyone on the ship yeah the thing about the night of april 14th 1912 in the north atlantic was that the sea was so calm it was eerie all the officers said as much they were just like i've never seen such a flat calm the other very peculiar thing about that night was that there was no moon there was supposed to be a half moon and there was absolutely no moon in the sky completely clear skies no clouds all stars that's really really weird so they had no moonlight and a flat, calm sea. Because, like, the implication there is if the wind was blowing, there would be waves that would break at the base of the iceberg. And they could see the icebergs. Yeah. And they did not realize that they were coming across a massive ice field. You know, in the film, you only see the lone iceberg, but it was actually much more dense than that. Like a minefield, really. Yeah. (laughs) And cut to Frederick Fleet in the crow's nest. The guys in the crow's nest are watching them get nookie. Like, they, they are literally too busy watching them make out to this, watch for ice. This is when I wrote down, is the implication here that Frederick Fleet was too busy watching them <laughs> neck to catch the iceberg in time? I wrote, are we prepared to lay the death of hundreds at their feet because they wanted to get it on? Yeah. Look at that, would you? And a bit woman a wheel. Well, if that's what it takes for us to get warm, I'd rather not. If it's all the same year, all right. <laughs> and then, like, they're, they're looking ahead, and then they see it. Oh, the iceberg. Fuck me! He's ringing the, he's ringing the bridge. Pick up, you bastards! Everyone goes into hyperdrive. Yeah. Murdoch freaks out. Oh, yeah. Murdoch's the first officer. Captain Smith left him in charge of the bridge. He has Chief Officer Moody turn it hard over to port. Yeah, like when you crank the wheel to miss the trash can. And, like, Moody's like, hard over. I literally can't do anything else. And Murdoch's, like, on the telegraph. Like, why aren't you stopping? It's a big boat. You know why they're not stopping? Why? Every boiler is going. Oh, that's right. Do you know how long it would have taken it to actually stop? I bet you know. Three football fields. Ooh, and they are way too close to it at And this going point. way too fast. And we kind of glazed over this part, but Brock was talking earlier about how the ultimate failing of the ship's structure was that it was too big of a ship. With too small a rudder. Exactly. The, so the it rudder... can't turn corners really well. No. There's this great shot. There's this guy on the forecastle. That's what I have. I was like, some poor bastard on the you bow. You hear him shout, it's gonna hit! 
the sound that it makes when it hits the iceberg. You remember Lewis's little explanation? Like Morse code. Dit, dit, dit. <laughs> it does not sound like dit, 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 it Lewis. It certainly does not. It's perforating the hull of the ship. Of course, this wakes everybody up, and the third-class people already know that the boat is sinking because the water's already coming in down there. Yeah, the and water is in their cabins. I love it. Tommy's literally got his life jacket slung over his shoulder, and he's following the rats down the hallway, and he's like, this is the way the rats are going. That's good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> people thought it was funny. Yeah. In the beginning. Like, there were guys kicking the ice around on the well deck, like, playing soccer with it. Yeah. They thought it was a joke. Yeah. And they thought they were going to be fine. Yeah, because it's unsinkable. No one even dreamt in those first 20 minutes that there could be anything wrong. In all this chaos, Cal manages to flag down a steward. You there. Sir, there is no emergency. Yes, there is. I have been robbed. Get the master at arms. Now, you moron. Hockley is putting together a nice little scheme to get rid of Jack. Because he's been back to the stateroom and found the drawing by now. Mm -hmm. And he knows that they're together, and he knows that she's planning on leaving him. But because she's property to him, Mm -hmm. he's going to make sure that doesn't happen. Jack and Rose are ascending from the well deck, and Andrews passes them with a bunch of midshipmen. The midshipmen are telling him, there's water here, there's water here. And Andrews is like, oh, oh no, really? If Mr. Andrews is upset, then we're in big trouble. He's like, have you seen the damage in the main hold? And she's like, No, it's all underwater. And so Jack is like, oh, this is bad. (laughs) Yeah. And Rose is like, I have a great idea. Let's go see my mother and Cal. (laughs) Yeah, this will be a great idea at this juncture. So they go to tell Ruth and Cal what's happened. And they just walk up proudly, hand in hand. Lovejoy's standing there waiting for him. As they're walking into the room, Lovejoy takes the diamond and slips it into Jack's coat. Oh, my God. Cal immediately has the master at arms search Jack, and of course they find the diamond, and Jack is like, this is horseshit! (laughs) Take your coat off, son. Now what? I'm on that. Cal, what are you doing? We're in the middle of an emergency. What's going on? Is this it? That's it. This is horseshit! I just love it! It's so, it's to the point. This is horseshit! And he literally gets in Rose's face, like, do not believe them! No! He put it in my pocket! But here's the problem. He stole that jacket yeah. in order to get into the first class deck. And they find that out. And uh, so Rose is a little conflicted after that. Don't you believe them, Rose? You know it. You know Come I on, didn't son, do let's it. Go. Rose, Come on, let's you know go. I didn't do, do it, Rose. Rose! Come on, that's a good lie. Come on, son, that's a good lot. Come on. You know I didn't do it. You know me. Jack gets taken away in handcuffs. Yeah. And that's the last we see of him this episode, guys. Yeah. We're going to have to learn what becomes of him next time. Now we have Andrews and Smith and Ismay, and they are in the drafting room. And Andrews rolls out the blueprint. (laughs) This massive blueprint. And so Titanic was built so that the watertight bulkheads only reached up as far as E-deck. And so basically what's going to happen is the ship is going to go down by the head, continue to fill up with water, and the water's just going to spill over the top of the bulkheads going back and back, kind of like filling up an ice tray with water. That's a very good way to put it. That's exactly how it is. Yeah, okay. From this moment, no matter what we do, Titanic will founder. But this ship can't sink. She's made of iron, sir. I assure you, she can. And she will. It is a mathematical certainty. I love that. Like, no, listen, dude, this is bad. <laughs> She's made of iron, sir. I assure you. She and, can. you know, Smith just kind of takes a moment and then just like the, I love the pan around 
of Smith. This is one of the greatest like cliffhangers yeah. that I could come up with because this is the end of the first tape, guys. Mm-hmm. And the last line of it is... Well, I believe you may get your headlines, Mr. Ismay. I love it. I love it. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We are too giddy about the death of thousands of people. Oh, it's just, it's great suspense, though. It's so much drama. It's so much drama. And, like, there's, it's about to get so rough, guys. Yeah. But guess what? That's all going to have to wait until next week. Yeah, we're done with this one, guys. (laughs) Will the Titanic sink? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it will sink. Yes, it will. Find out next time (laughs) on Kicking and Streaming. There's not a big outro or anything for this episode because, frankly, we're not done with the movie no, yet. No, we are not. We still have a whole other half to talk about. You can catch part two next week. We'll be talking all about the sinking of the Titanic, all of the old stories that we hear from about the Titanic, about the musicians, and about how it, everybody was trying to stay on the boat there at the end, and how only one lifeboat came back. Yeah. What is up with that? And I'm going to have a nice little aftermath history lesson for you as well stick around for that in the meantime you can follow us on facebook and twitter at kick and stream k-i-c-k-n s-t-r-e-a-m and you can write the show at kicking and streaming podcast at gmail.com that's with an and not an ampersand and don't forget guys go and rate and review us on itunes or and please remember to share the podcast with the people you love it's it's uncertain times and we need good content to fill the hours absolutely we would sure appreciate a recommendation from you to your friends all right anything else you want to say before we go master historian to those of you who are consciously living the history we're experiencing Experiencing at this moment. Stay focused on what matters. Stay focused on only the things that you can control. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> Self-isolate. Call your buddies. Yeah. Say hi. Call your parents. Ask them if they're okay. Our mother calls us like yeah, pretty our, often. Our mother's been calling us a couple of times being like, do I need to come get you? <laughs> Love her for it. I do. I do. So um, yeah, guys, just try and stay focused. Try and stay positive. Try and keep your mind busy. It's going to be a long time before it's normal again, but we love you and we all love each other. So keep calm. And carry on. Carry on. That's right. I love it. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, Sorry, Mom. Mom.